Welcome to All Together Now. This is Eleanor Lacane. The U.S. economy added 6.4 million new jobs last year, the biggest one-year job gain on record. Unemployment fell from 6.7% at the start of the year to just 3.9% at the end of the year, putting it close to a historic low unemployment rate. Right now, employers across the country are looking desperately for workers. Some restaurants and stores are even closing because they can't find enough workers. The tight labor market is creating an opening for workers to ask for and receive higher wages. And workers are realizing that unions can help them get higher wages and better working conditions. Our guest today has spent years helping workers improve their lives. Virginia Diamond is the president of the AFL-CIO in Northern Virginia. She's currently helping organize workers in Starbucks and elsewhere. She's also an astute observer of what's happening on the ground politically and understands why so many working people have left the Democratic Party and voted for Trump and the Republicans, which I hope she can explain to us today. Virginia Diamond, welcome to All Together Now. Thank you, Eleanor. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Yeah. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you. And, you know, what amazes me is some people don't even understand the value of unions. I mean, it used to be kind of the norm, but it's, as you know, the, the rate of number of workers in a union now has dropped. What do you say when people uh, ask, like, why should a worker want to have a union? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. The uh, percentage of workers in our economy uh, that are in unions has dropped dramatically. Uh, actually, it reached its height in the late 60s. But it, during the 1970s, uh, it, it started dropping from a high of about 34 percent of the workforce uh, down uh, steadily down to the point where now in the private sector, we have about 6 percent of the workforce in unions. Uh, so um, as a result of that, uh, we have seen um, a, a loss of power uh, uh, in the working class, which has allowed uh, corporate uh, elites to take all the money. Uh, so as a result, we have uh, dramatic income inequality. And we really, in terms of union density and in terms of income inequality and wealth inequality, we have actually gone uh, to the Gilded Age again. So mm -hmm. we are actually, you know, 100 years uh, set back in terms of uh, our economy and, uh, and equality in this country. And that is um, directly related uh, to the destruction of unions and to the uh, loss of bargaining power by the working class. So, uh, yes. Go ahead. I think you're exactly right. You know, that's and I, a lot of times people look at me and they go, well, like, how did we get back to this wealth inequality and this income inequality? It was bad 100 years ago, but we course corrected. We had President FDR and the New Deal and unions. And so it, we kind of had a space for decades where the uh, corporations were making money, the stockholders were making money. The workers had jobs and had decent pay. Their kids, even you know, working class kids, had a shot at getting into a college or at least a good job with uh, good wages and retirement benefits. And it's really since the 1970s, we've kind of 
lost that and been going downhill again in the sense of this tremendous wealth and income inequality. And it seems to me the major reason why is what you're talking about is that when unions declined, workers' power declined, the ability for workers to get better wages and better retirement plans declined, and more of the money's uh, being vacuumed up by the top 1%. So um, I think you're right on. That That's right. And I think that um, you and I agree on that. And also, I think there's a whole generation now of young people who actually recognize that. And uh, that's why we're seeing this incredible uprising among the uh, Starbucks uh, baristas. Most of those people are Gen Z or as we like to call them now, Gen U, because they've discovered that unions uh, are the uh, are, are the um, are, are the answer to what they look upon as a very grim economic future for themselves. They are laden with student debt. They can't afford health care. They can't afford uh, to live on the salaries of their jobs. They have to work two or three jobs. Uh, they don't have any any possible um, way to retire in the future. They can't afford houses. They And what they recognize is that actually, whereas in, in previous decades, uh, a younger generation would think that they might be able to do better than their parents. This generation mm-hmm. recognizes that it's all downward mobility for them. So um, what they've realized is that, you know, this this is a this has happened before in the 1930s. Uh, their grandparents or great grandparents were working in auto factories and steel mills, and they were making very poor, low wages with no benefits, very unsafe. And what they did to fix that was they organized unions, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now this generation is looking upon you know the service sector jobs that that, that our economy now has, such as uh, in these uh, coffee shop chains, restaurants. Uh, warehouses, retail, uh, et cetera, healthcare. And they're saying, you know, the way that uh, we can uh, restore the middle class and, and, and seize, you know, what is rightfully ours based upon what we're contributing to this, these companies and this economy is we need to organize unions. Uh, so it's, it's really um, amazing to behold. There's a, a wave of organizing at Starbucks, which uh, started with just uh, two stores, really uh, two stores. It's actually a lot of stores in Buffalo, but the first uh, victory in Buffalo uh, of a union campaign at Starbucks lit this match across the country where people in in these stores where they're, they're really not getting living wages, they don't have a voice, they don't have affordable health care, they, they, don't, they don't have a seat at the table. Um, and they certainly recognized that very seriously during the pandemic when they didn't have a voice in COVID protocols. And, and so they've recognized that, you know, this is a, you know, multi-billion dollar company. They have plenty of, um, of money to treat their, um, what they call partners, to treat them better, to give them a greater share. Uh, and so um, they see them, these uh, uh, young workers uh, see themselves as um, the successors to the workers of the 30s and 40s who organized the manufacturing sector. They intend to organize the service sector, and uh, that will be the the most important way that the working class can um, gain gain some power and uh, restore a balance to our society. I think everybody's very concerned radical demagoguery, right-wing demagogues, et cetera, which comes from a 
that from a society which has, has uh, grotesque inequalities such as ours now, uh, where the bottom 50% of the population has no money, they have no savings. Mm -hmm. And uh, when people talk about, you know, the, the, the racial wealth gap, the bottom 50% of, of any race does not have any wealth. So there is not a racial wealth gap in the working class uh, in the bottom 50%. Most of the racial wealth gap actually occurs in the upper 10% where upper class uh, whites have more wealth than upper class blacks significantly. And that's really what accounts for it. And um, it's important to correct that. But the main thing that this generation is realizing is that from a class perspective, they have to have unions um, in order to address income inequality, wealth inequality, and to, to basically to protect our democracy. In history, there's never been a, a viable democracy that's existed with such extremes of wealth and poverty. And that's what we have now in this country, exactly as we had in the Gilded Age. Oh, exactly right. We're really tracking right back where we're at 100 years ago. And, and it's a extremely unhealthy for a lot of reasons. And you've named, I think, the most important one is workers have little or no power, and therefore the money keeps going up uh, like a vacuum up to the top 1% mostly, you know, some at the top 10%. But uh, it the higher you go, the more extreme it is. And it's also what amazes me. I hear lots of conversation about the problems of our democracy and this lack of civil discourse. And, and I'm thinking when I hear this somewhat, like, why would people be civil when they're struggling? Like you say, this young generation is coming up. They can't afford to pay their rent often. They're like group homes and sharing rooms and all this. They're not able to buy a house. They feel like they're not financially secure enough to start a family. Uh, they can't even pay off their school loans, um, which they're trapped into because the financial institutions made sure they couldn't declare those uh, loans null and void if they declare bankruptcy. It's exempt. Mm -hmm. Even if you declare bankruptcy, you still own your student loans. So this generation is like, really financially strapped. And um, I think it's very exciting. You've kind of explained then why they're interested in unions, even though, like I said at the top of the show, uh, there's more jobs being created. Uh, you work, the employers are really uh, eager to get more people working for them. Um, so unemployment rates are low. That's all great news. And in spite of that picture, there's a broader picture happening, which you're describing, which is the lack of wealth and income among this generation coming up and among even the whole bottom 50%, which gives the impetus to, hey, let's form a union. That's right. I mean, um, a good job is a union job. Um, if, if you if you have a job that is not does not pay a livable wage and you're working two or three jobs, then the fact that there's a lot of jobs around doesn't really help you and your family. It creates a lot of insecurity. And mm -hmm. I think also another um, aspect of the um, the decline of our our civil discourse and our de democratic 
institutions is the fact that you can't really build a democracy uh, without um, institutions of civil society. Like democracy, people say, is a three-legged tool. You have elections, yes, one day a year people go and vote. You also have freedom of speech, that's the second leg. But the third leg is institutions of civil society, such as unions, where people interact, where people have common ground. Um, in our unions, uh, we have every every sort of person we have they're, they're multiracial they're every age group they're every ethnic group uh they are every political uh um persuasion so what we are is a stabilizing situ uh institution in society that says hey we have more in common because we are all in it together to try to help our families you know have secure income send our kids to school pay for our health care so so without with the destruction of unions you end up with these these two political parties that have that have an interest in destroying each other to gain power they don't have an interest in uh in, in building bridges their interest in is in beating the other guy so you, you can't have a society based on on just partisanship um, where you're just looking to score points against the other side. And of course, that creates a lot of, you know, just just polarization and hostility. Uh, unions are the opposite. They're institutions of civil society where, you know, we find, try to find common ground and also with the employers. You know, we're not trying to put employers out of business either. Um, the workers at Starbucks, for example, who are trying to organize, they love Starbucks. They, they, they believe in the company. They enjoy their jobs. And they believe that a unionized Starbucks would be in the interest not only of the workers, but also the customers and also the company, uh, because you're creating a, a, a more just environment. You have more communication. You have uh, more equity, uh, more fairness. And so uh, unions are trying to really uh, create stability in society, security for people and um, and also building, you know, stronger companies uh, because they have you know less turnover, more training, more investment in their workers. Um, Etc. Exactly right. I had a guest on my show recently who is a former Wall Street executive. He's in the one percent. He's a big stockholder, megabucks guy, and he's the chair of patriotic millionaires who are for um, more taxes on the wealthy. Saying we've got more than we know how to spend, and I'm for taxing the top 1% much more than we're currently taxed so we can spread it around and use that for building good schools so people get better pay so that the whole society is more stable um, and thriving. And he said, as an owner of stock in these private companies, I know that these companies will do better when there's more people out there with more money who can then be customers and buy the goods and services the companies are selling. <laughs> well, if only these patriotic millionaires would also support unionization, which they don't. Oh, they don't. Oh, that's they interesting. They, they do not. Um, so, yes, there's a redistributive um, agenda of taking money after people have earned their billions, taxing them more, using that money to, I guess, um, provide, um, you know, payments to very poor people to help them, you know, in various ways. But, you know, redistributing the money that's already been taken from workers it by through tax policy is not the same thing as empowering the working class. And the way that you empower the working class not to be a 
you know, a, a, a single note person is, you have to give them the give them the ability to have unions so that they can say to these patriotic millionaires, we want to sit at the table across from you and we want to talk about our pay. We want to talk about our health care. We want to decide what our priorities are. And we don't want your philanthropy and we don't want your, you know, your generous, you know, payments of your of your little taxes or whatever. You know, we want we want the power. We want a voice. We want a seat at the table. And the corporate executives, elites, uh, no matter how patriotic they are, um, we don't see corporations um, uh, allowing workers to freely decide whether to unionize. And show me one that that does. I have not seen it. Um, right. If you look at Starbucks, look at Amazon, if you look at you know mm-hmm. any of the major, major corporations, um, Target, you know, they're, they're REI, a COA. Uh, they are philosophically, ideologically opposed to their workers having a voice. And they have, you know, very sophisticated um, methodologies for crushing union drives. Um, if you saw what has happened with Starbucks in this campaign, um, it, is a, it is an outrage. Um, they, when, when the workers in Buffalo first decided they wanted to have a union, Starbucks sent in not only the president of Starbucks North America, who I'm sure is a patriotic millionaire as well, uh, and uh, went in there um, with a hundred store managers to go into the stores to um, t- pull people aside and tell them that they're risking everything if they have a union. They they must vote no, or they might not have their the benefits that they do have. They might lose. They will not be able to take shifts at other stores. They won't be able to transfer. Um, that you know. They uh, they there were stores that were actually closed. There was, um, you know, you know, massive hiring to get people into the units who might vote no. And, you know, they call them listening sessions, just a massive series of threats, intimidation and pressure. And it's really amazing that two stores did vote to have a union under those kinds of pressures. So now they've taken that anti-union union busting campaign. They've taken it around the country. They're doing it everywhere. They're doing it here where I live. They're going in, taking people one by one and saying you know, that you're going to lose everything. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, we, we promise, you know, we'll do whatever you want. We'll do better. Uh, but now they've taken it to another level in Memphis. Uh, in Memphis, uh, there was an organizing committee that formed on Martin Luther King Day. And they said that we're unionizing in honor of Dr. King, who was killed here in Memphis fighting for the right of sanitation workers to organize. And so just a few days ago, maybe two days ago, Starbucks fired the entire organizing committee, uh, which is led by black women uh, on the grounds that, you know, on just flimsy grounds that they were doing a, a TV interview in the store. And their store manager that, who had been there for nine and a half years said that anything that they were accused of were never enforced. Nobody was ever uh, discipline for doing any of the things that they were fired for, and that, in her opinion, this was definitely a union-busting effort. So they wiped out the entire committee. But of course, you know, we filed charges, and I'm sure that they'll be hired back. But Star, Star, Starbucks has shown that it will go to any lengths mm. to avoid unionization. And of course, Amazon the same, and all of the other corporations. You know, so the question, of course, when you do want to get into the issue of politics, is, you know. Is there any is there any political party that believes 
in the right of workers in private in the private sector to have unions. And there's not it's not clear that either party is actually on board with that idea. It seems they're more on board with the beliefs of the millionaires that, you know, we'll figure out what to do with our with the money once we get it. But we're not going to give you workers any power. Yeah, I'm thinking as you're talking about Frederick Douglass when he said that power concedes nothing without struggle. It never has and it never will. So, huh? Well said. Well yeah. said. <laughs> so thank you, Frederick Douglass. Um, so this is fascinating. Now, you've got, um, what, six stores at Starbucks that you're helping to organize in Richmond, Virginia. Is that right? There, there's six and more coming in Richmond, but where there's all over Virginia, there's a there's store in Roanoke, Virginia, in southwestern part of the state, a store near Lynchburg. There's stores in the Tidewater up in northern Virginia. So these are rolling out in Virginia like every other state. I think there were five today in New York. So there's getting close to 100 in the country that have or, uh, that are unionizing uh, just in the past you know, month or two. Uh, and that's absolutely growing. So, so Starbucks is going to great lengths, including these firings, you know, to try to to halt this wave of unionization. Um, and uh, I do believe that this generation of workers will, as you say, um, uh, continue to fight, uh, continue to stand up to bullies, and continue to stand up for um, justice. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how this works because my understanding is that a lot of the frontline low-wage workers say a barista in starbucks gets frustrated by the fact that they really are not earning enough money to pay their bills um and they don't see the even down the road that the, even if they got a raise or slight improvement that they're ever going to really be economically secure. So there's a concern and anxiety there among, and I, I mean, even like you know, the low, the minimum wage down F is, what is it, $7.35 an hour? $7.25. $7.25 an hour. Um, even if you get the $15 an hour, which has been held up for years as a good 15 or fight, a wage to fight for, really, um, that's like a minimum of what you need to begin paying your bills, as particularly in some of the cities like D.C. It's not right? a livable wage. Fifteen dollars is not a livable wage. So it's not it's even that's not enough. Nope. So. Um, so how how is this happening? So the workers are frustrated. I read this whole article about a McDonald's uh, and a series of McDonald's somewhere and the workers were frustrated. They tried to work through the regular channels. They couldn't get raises. They couldn't get satisfaction. So they kind of basically walked out and shut down the McDonald's. And I was thinking, why don't they organize a union? So where is this coming from? Like, it seems like it's from the bottom up that it's welling up that the workers, like you say, this generation understands that financially they are screwed unless they get a union that can really fight for them for better wages and, and conditions. So it, it, are they, is it like the baristas are saying, hey, we need a union and they're giving you a call or how is this organizing happening? That, that's, that's exactly right. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, some people become frustrated and dis and and in despair, and they move from job to job, and they just give up and get addicted to drugs or whatever it is that you know people do to cope with um, despair. Um, but what's happened here is that the, this uh, generation and this particular workforce cracked the code of what they can do to wrest power from this corporation and not be powerless anymore, which involves joining together with their coworkers. Uh, and forming a union. So yeah, they they reached out and um, be, because of the fact that um, they were successful in Buffalo, all around the country, people are saying, oh, this is a thing. You mean, in other words, we're not completely helpless and powerless. I've had workers here in Virginia say to me, I, I never had hope before. I never mm -hmm. had hope for the future. This has given me hope for the first time in my life. This is what I've been dreaming of is to be part of a movement that will allow me to believe that my life can be better and that I can have, have some control. And the union represents that. It represents solidarity with my coworkers. It, it represents uh, getting our fair share. Uh, um, it represents you know, being treated fairly. It means respect, being respected, having dignity, have a voice, uh, respect for my job. I work hard, I contribute mm -hmm. a lot. This company can afford a lot more. Uh, you have people who've been there, you know, six, seven, eight, ten years at Starbucks, and they're making, you know, fifty cents more than a person who walks in off the street. That's mm -hmm. not sustainable, and that's not right. And they and they realized, especially during the pandemic, that you know their lives meant very little <laughs> to corporate management. That this is all about profit, and uh, I think that that was a, a, certainly a shock. But they they have re realized and learned, and I think that now they're sharing that vision with workers all over the country. Who I think this is really a turning point in our nation, and I think we could go one of two ways. We're at a crossroads, so we could continue down the path of inequality, of uh, the concentration of wealth and power at the top, of uh, growing polarization and division and um, our democracy fall apart and the tinkering not do any good, or we can take a different uh, uh, path and we can um, see the working class, the multiracial working class uh, rising up through unionizing and create institutions that take back the trillions of dollars that have been transferred to the upper classes and then have the power to say to um, to all the decision makers and through public discourse, you know, there, we need to take care of the working class and the regular people um, and not just um, those at the top. And we need to, to have the power spread out. And that's what that's what a democracy is. So we're either going to go in the direction of more unions or we're going to go in the direction of oligarchy and the decline of our democracy. I think that's the way I see it. So I feel like everything uh, everything rests upon the success of the Starbucks organizing drive, which might, might sound like hyperbole, but you have 200,000 workers who are saying we want a union. Now, Starbucks is saying you can't have a union. We're going to fire you. We're going to threaten you. We're going to divide you. We're going to create so much tension that you're going to just quit and give up. So it's basically a, a million billion dollar corporation and billionaires versus the workers. And if the workers can't win this and if they if the word goes out that you know you can't have unions, then I think that our democracy is dead. That's how I see it. Yeah, now 
when you say there's 200,000 workers who want a union, is that within um, within Starbucks? Or yeah. yeah, that's about how, I mean, I'm thinking about the 9,000 stores that Starbucks has. You never talk to a worker that says, no, I don't want a union. They might say, well, I can't afford to be fired. But they never say, I wouldn't rather have a union. So if you give a, a worker a choice between, you know, you're going to be, you know, fired and you're going to lose your job or you, or, you know, or you can have a union, that's harder. But if you let them freely decide, would you like to have a union? Would you want to have a voice on the job? Do you want to have a contract? Do you want to engage in collective bargaining? Then they all say yes. Of course they say yes. It's the only way that you keep unions out is by is by suppressing them by by intimidation by uh, retaliation and so fear is the only reason why all of these people wouldn't unionize and so this is a this is a struggle between fear and repression versus courage and so looking to this generation i'm going like wow this looks like you guys have a lot of courage and a lot of creativity and a lot of compassion for each other to say, yes, we can do this. We can stick together. But the, the you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And we don't know whether other forces in society are going to stand with the workers or they're going to stand with the corporations. Because up till now, both parties have taken the side of corporations over the workers. You know, we have a bill in Congress, you know, the PRO Act, the bill that would outlaw these horrific, you know, actions that Starbucks has taken that they're allowed to get away with now because there's no penalties and they can do it. Um, we've had a bill in Congress. It passed the House, but it's not going anywhere in the Senate. And even in my own state, Senator Warner, a Democrat, is against it. So the Democratic Party has not has made it clear. And it was true under President Obama as well as President Clinton and President Carter, whenever we had democratic majorities, labor would go to these governments and say, you need to fix the labor laws because right now they can stop people from unionizing because they can threaten them and fire them. And then, you know, they can kill the union campaign. And under all four democratic administrations, they have refused to fix the labor laws. And it's happening again under Biden. It happened under Obama with the Employee Free Choice Act. So clearly, the Democratic Party is not on the side of building unions in the private sector. And neither is the Republican Party, in part because they see unions as being so sort of, you know, embedded in the Democratic Party that they don't think it's in their interest to to grow the unions as institutions. But the Democratic Party has clearly made a decision on, I, I believe it started in the 1970s, that they don't need to have we don't need to have unions in this country in the private sector that there are other pathways to opportunity for people if they're really good at school or really smart or really you know talented and if we really give them opportunities then they'll make themselves rich or something uh or you know we'll raise the minimum wage to 15 dollars and then they'll be they, they'll be that's enough because we'll you know subsidize this or that but neither party is in favor of what these Starbucks baristas are trying to, are fighting for. Right, and uh, I, I asked about the 200,000 people wanting the union because I just saw this poll showing that 47% of workers in the United States now want a union. 
and only, as you say, only 6% of the private sector is unionized, uh, private sector workers, but 47% want a union. So um, I've never seen this widespread support for unions in my lifetime. So I think it's not just a few disgruntled baristas at Starbucks. We're talking about a real movement among working people saying we need something that's going to protect us to make sure we earn a living wage and we're treated with respect and uh, and have something hopefully for our retirement um you know should we <laughs> should we be so lucky i mean people need that it's scary to watch our country where you say 50 percent of the people have no wealth and um you know, people talk about poverty as if it's maybe the bottom 6% of, you know, the lowest on the economic ladder, 6 to 10%. That is so outmoded. That is so not what's happening. I mean, the lack of wealth is the predominant main experience of being an American right now. Unless you're in the top 10 or 20%, you are struggling financially. So That's you're talking like, of the people or more are really struggling financially and looking like they can't pay their bills now. And they're looking down the road at a retirement where they don't have anything waiting for them, except whatever small amount they may get from social security, which was intended originally to complement the pension you got from your job. But now people aren't getting the pensions. Why? Because they have no power. Why? Because they have no union. So, uh, so it's a big, big wave. And I'm so happy that you're there in Northern Virginia. Uh, So you can look at this, you know, this cry for dignity, and this uh, drive for wanting more control, you know, more financial security, more control over the workplace, and that you're there to help organize, uh, help organize the workers who are caught in that condition. So thank you for doing that. Well, there, and what's really amazing to watch it, it's an honor to have any relationship at all to this movement because they're actually organizing each other. So what, when people meet on zoom calls, it'll be a barista from upstate New York, talking to baristas from Roanoke, Virginia, telling them what they went through, what they learned, what to look out for. And this is happening all over the country. They're, they're organizing each other and themselves. And there's, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people who are connected to unions, connected to, you know, other organizations that are trying to help in any way possible, especially trying to build up pressure to try to get Starbucks to change its union busting behavior. You know, there's um, there's a perception that Starbucks was trying to purvey that they are a progressive company, that they are for social justice, that they are pro LGBTQ, that they are anti-racist. They wanted to have that progressive image. And and now it's been revealed that they are not progressive because you can't be progressive if you're anti-union. You just can't. And you can't just say that. You know, we know what's best for these uh, these little workers and, you know, trust us. And meanwhile, you know, they're giving their CEO a 39 percent raise last year 
up to $20.4 million a year and record profits. And, you know, the workers are, are, are being told that they're not, they can't have a union. So what, I'm, what we're hoping is that enough people who care about our country and our democracy, you know, will demand that Starbucks acknowledge that their workers have a right to have a union, that they should stay out of it and that they should bargain and that a unionized Starbucks can be a really good thing and that it can help their image uh, and it can help lead the way to other big corporations that, you know, want to concentrate all the wealth at the top to think, you know, no, let's let the, let's hear what the workers have to say. Let's give them a seat at the table. Let's give them a voice. And and uh, perhaps our, our, our nation uh, will be saved if that's of, of any concern to to them at all. Right. So uh, what about our listeners? You know, actually, some of our listeners may be baristas, maybe working for Starbucks. Um, and probably all of our listeners have at one time or another gone into a Starbucks as a customer. Um, they're so pervasive, it's hard to miss them. <laughs> they're like everywhere. But uh, what can we do is, you know, if we're a customer of Starbucks, um, how do we support this union drive and say exactly what you're saying? You say, you know what? I love Starbucks and to help Starbucks be a really great company. We want to see unionized workers in the company. So how do we make that voice be heard by the consumers? That's a great question. Thank you so much for asking that. Uh, so there's a lot of things that people can do. One is um, if you're walking into uh, Starbucks that where the people are trying to unionize, you know, tell the baristas that you support them, congratulate them, tell them that that um, you know that you think it's a, it's a really great thing that they are forming a union. And when you when they ask if they ask for your name on the cup, you can say something like, uh, "My name is Union Yes" or "My name is Solidarity," and then they can call it out when they call call your drink. <laughs> so, I love that. I'm going to go yeah. into Starbucks just so I can do that. Absolutely. It means a lot. And then also, if you're going into a store where, um, you know, the workers aren't unionizing yet and it, you get the feeling from somebody that they might be interested in getting some more information about the union, you can tell them to reach out to um, sbworkersunited at gmail.com. They want to reach the union. SB, like Starbucks, sbworkersunited. Sbworkersunited. And that's email at gmail. At Gmail, sbworkersunited at Gmail. They can write like many hundreds of have already written to that email address and say, um, tell me more. How can I have a union in my store? And so we'll be happy to help them um, if they reach out. Um, also, we we would love it if people would, you know, contact um, Starbucks, you know, send them an email, send them a letter, write, uh, write a letter mm -hmm. to the editor. Um, demanding and asking that they um, reverse course and that they not um, try to crush this union. Um, it's, it's very important if, if we could get them to um, understand that they're not helping their brand uh, with this conduct and that, you know, they're going to be a lot more popular um, if they are, were truly progressive and, um, you know, stop the anti-union. They have hired um, Littler Mendelssohn, which is a very prominent anti-union uh, law firm to design, you know, leaflets, you know, that are very th threatening um, to take away people's op benefits and opportunities. And so if we could get them to stop that and give people the freedom to join a union, then um, that's something consumers can, can ask for is that they, 
that that they let the workers have the choice. Right. Let workers have a choice. So uh, say I'm a barista at a Starbucks in Richmond and um, I've like had it and I really want to have a union to just feel I have some protection in the workplace to help me. Um, what do I do? I, I, I call you. Yeah. Call, call me or call, reach out to, you can email, they'll call me or any number of other union uh, representatives and organizers um, who will uh, teach them what a union is. Because one thing that Starbucks says over and over and over again is that, you know, the union is a third party. It's going to come in and, and interfere in our culture. You're not going to be able to talk to your supervisors anymore. The union's going to be a third party in between our our communications. And what we explain to people, which is the truth, is that the union is the workers themselves. It's their own organization. It's not a third party. They form a union by gathering together with their fellow workers in their store. They all decide that they want to have a union. And if they do, then they have the right to um, ask the National Labor Relations Board to hold a secret ballot election. And they vote. And if the majority vote to have a union, then under federal law, Starbucks is required to bargain with them. And so then they will sit down at, across the table from management as equals and say, you know, these are our concerns. This is what we want. This is what we care about. Um, we want seniority pay. We want, um, you know, a better uh, health insurance program. Um, we want, you know, a right to not have to work closing and opening, you know, back to back or something like that. Whatever it is that they want, they decide and they get a contract that they vote on. So the union's not a third party. It's them having their own autonomy, their own organization. Um, so that's that's what people learn and they get excited by that. And they're doing all kinds of creative things. They're designing their own logos and they're um, in Richmond. They're going to have a, um, a concert for for all of the with with all the local bands from Richmond uh, celebrating, you know, their union effort and supporting them. And support from the community is really, really important, you know, especially when someone's threatening you and threatening your livelihood. Um, it's really important for people to step up and and uh, show them that, you know, that that we're proud of you. We're proud of what you're doing and that what you're doing is not just for you, but it's for the whole country. It's for it's for all of our families. It's for our nation. And so you know, we just need to support these people. Right, exactly. Well, and so if I'm a barista, kind of my main thing is I connect with the National Labor Relations Board and ask for a union vote. That's like the practical step they need to take, right? That's that's when you have all of, you can't do it as an individual. That's when your, your store, your people in your store want to have that. It's not okay. a person's choice. It's a union is... Is people coming together? It's a community, and so that's how that works. And if they all right, so you, you get a group within the Starbucks to say, "Hey, we want to have a union here to protect ourselves." If the majority and of the people in the store want it, then that's what will trigger the labor board holding an election. Okay, fantastic. So talk to your fellow workers. Yep, get a majority, and yep. then go to the National Labor Relations Board and ask for a vote. And you're available as a resource if people want to form a union because you know all these union busting techniques and you know how to handle them. So I would imagine, there's, are there people like you all across the country? That's right. That's right. 
they're called union organizers and they're here to advise, help, teach and educate. But it's the workers themselves that are forming their own union. And uh, I think you got that just right. Just if you have a majority of people in your store that feel that way, then mm-hmm. they'll show you, you know, exactly what steps to take to form your own union. And so if our listeners are interested in pursuing this, uh, once they talk to their co-workers and get a majority in their workplace, um, can ask the uh, National Labor Relations Board for a vote to form a union. And I guess you could just Google like AFL-CIO and plug in your town or city and then see what shows up like you would show up for Northern Virginia, right? They they need to, to they no they need to contact SB Workers United at gmail.com. Okay. SB Workers United at gmail.com. That's a national okay. a national clearing national. because they, they they won't be doing this by themselves. They'll be doing this with support and help and and uh, legal expertise, attorneys, right. et cetera. It's a legal process. So if they get a, get a hold of SB Workers United at gmail.com, then they'll say, oh, you're in Oklahoma. Oh, here's who can talk to you. Here's how they who you can meet with. And, and, and in fact, we have baristas from, you know, Texas who can talk to you on a Zoom call or from you know other places. So they, they need to get they don't need to Google anything. OK, great. Well, I'm also thinking that you like if you're working for Amazon or some other company, you're also going to want support. I know there was the problem. Was that in Alabama with yeah, they were trying to unionize and ended up um, somewhere down South Georgia. They there was a lot of trouble with that, but they're going to do the revote. Um, yeah, people need to know where they can go to get support yes. to get this done. AFL CIO is is fine. Okay, great. But if there's somebody that works at some other, you know, organization that writes to SBWorkersUnited.org, they'll show tell them who to call in that other union. So it's fine either way. Either way works. Okay, great. Uh, so I want to move now. We just have 10 minutes left. I can't believe how the time is flying. This is fascinating. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the politics in Virginia uh, and how it kind of represents a national trend. We know in November, there were elections just last November where the Democrats expected to win the governorship and statewide races. Uh, as they had been uh, winning, Virginia had gone from red to purple. It was very much a swing state for a while. And then the Democrats were just winning a lot of the election. People assumed the Democrats were going to win in the elections last November, and they did not win. They lost. They lost the governorship, the attorney general. They lost the Senate. They uh, and the um, not the Senate, but the House in Virginia. So. Um, what happened? Like, why did the Democrats make progress and then why did they lose it this past year? Well, I would say you're probably asking the wrong person because there are a lot of political pundits out there who have a lot of opinions about messaging, about uh, uh, logistics, about where where staff was sent, where money was sent. What you know, there's a lot of different opinions all over the all over the airwaves about that. That it's not my area of expertise. I would say, however, that my my feeling is that the working class, the majority of people in Virginia and elsewhere are angry and they're feeling that they have not been championed by political leaders of either party, really. 
um, and they don't see um, that their interests are being, you know, put first. Um, they 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 don't see that um, people are standing up for them. I, I personally uh, would 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 like it if um, a political party would champion the right of workers to have unions. Mm -hmm. In other words, I would like it, and I think it would be popular. You you cited some polling that shows how popular unions are. They are because the pendulum has swung so far that right. everybody knows that we're back in Dickens, England. <laughs> you know, so this is right. it's time. It, so, but but both parties are are. I mean, the Democratic Party is. Uh, uh, distancing itself from private sector unions, I would say, and the Republican Party is distancing itself even farther. So I don't think anyone is addressing um, this problem that workers um, don't have the right without without actually risking everything. They don't have the right to just organize unions uh, at their private corporations. Um, you know, I would just you know, there's during the um, General Assembly, which is going on now. You know, there was a big debate. Uh, Republicans were saying that they wanted to keep the minimum wage next year at $11 an hour. The Democrats, Democrats in the Senate were saying, no, we're going to keep it at $12 an hour next year. So it was a battle between $11 an hour and $12 an hour, which, you know, when, when working class people watch that debate, yes, 12 is better than 11. But, you know, we're not getting the bold um, vision of worker power that you would get if people could have unions. We have a right to work law in Virginia. What the right to work law means is essentially we are branding our state as anti-union. Nobody knows what the heck that means, what right to work means. Nobody. <laughs> but, you know, I do. I'm a labor lawyer. I know what it means. But it's so not what does relevant. it mean? Tell us. It's not relevant what it means. What it means. Okay. Because every single day somebody says to me, well, we can't do that, can we? It's a right to work state. You know, we can't get workers. We can't. Can I join a union? I'm even allowed to do that. It's a right mm -hmm. to work state. And so everybody knows what it means. And why does the Chamber of Commerce, why does the business community want to keep Virginia a right to work state? It's because it sends a signal to corporations that we don't support workers mm -hmm. and that we're a business friendly state that doesn't allow workers to organize. That's that's essentially the meaning of it. And so I personally think that it would be in the in the best interest of the people of Virginia and of the Democratic Party to to get rid of the right to work law and to say, no, we're a pro-union state. We're a pro-worker state, you know, and, and but, you know, there's a fear that, well, the, the corporations, the big wealthy donors, they won't like us. You know, um, we, we, we've got to be We've got to be, you know, popular with business and with labor. So we do, you know, we'll do the $15 for the workers and we'll do the keeping the right to work law for the businesses. I personally, if you ask me, you know, I would think that a winning strategy for the Democratic Party would be to champion workers and to champion unions and worker power. Um, and unfortunately, what that would mean is that they would lose some support from corporate elites. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's, that's the decision. That's the, the dilemma that they're facing is, you know, which side are they on? Yeah. So I see exactly what you're talking about that the, a democratic candidate say in Virginia, thinking, Oh, I want to give something to labor and I want to give something to the corporation. So they're trying to keep everybody happy 
but um, unions are a real dividing line. Like if you're really for workers, you would support a union, which is really about the power to help determine a lot of conditions, pay, benefits, working situation. Um, so yep. if you come out as pro-union, the corporations are not going to go, oh, you're our guy. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And that's where we are. And, and so that 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 the uh, Democratic Party in Virginia has decided that they don't want to risk uh, offending uh, the corporate elites. And that's where we are, why we are where we are at the Gilded Age. Mm -hmm. Because the parties, the people in power um, are really, it, it's an oligarchy. So both parties are are basically in the pockets of the wealthy and the corporations. And that's a microcosm in Virginia, but neither party is for the working class. And that's why people don't have faith in our institutions because they know it's, it's rigged. Well, what do you think about uh, President Biden has come out strongly for unions. Um, do you think there's anything real there or that's kind of a talking point to identify with workers, but not really challenge corporate power? Well, I think that, you know, he believes believes that I think he he, he likes unions. I do. Mm -hmm. um, it's all about, you know, how 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 are we changing the lives of working people who are really suffering and struggling? Um, and so, you know, as long as baristas have to, you know, go home crying at night because they're supervisor told them that they're going to lose their university tuition if they vote for the union, uh, then uh, it's not working. It's not working. So whatever, I know he's just the president, so I guess he has no power. And I guess, you know, there's nothing he can do, but I'm just, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, the political establishment uh, of our country is not doing whatever it would take to rein in the power of the oligarchs. It is now an oligarchy. Right. Well, I, you know, I, I've been actually very impressed with President Biden in the sense he has taken on the fossil fuel industries with his climate change work. He's taken on the pharmaceuticals by trying to uh, bring pricing down. Uh, he's done a number of kind of courageous things, but and some battles he's won and some battles he's lost. But um, we need to get enough support among a broad enough sector of both society and our elected representatives that we get that PRO Act passed, which then will make union organizing easier for the 47% of the working people who want to have them, right? Yeah. And starting with the uh, with the Democrats, I mean, everybody attacks Senator Manchin, but he did sign on to the PRO Act. Uh, it's Senator Warner who's not signing on. So there's always, you know, a core group in the Democratic Party that doesn't believe uh, in in unions or in workers being empowered. And, you know, that 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 would be good if that changed, because if not, I do think that we are going down, you know, a pathway of um, a really divided, a really divided society. Right. Uh, it's very chilling and very concerned. I think you've framed it right. We've got kind of the keep going down the path of oligarchy or so much of the resources and wealth going to the top 1%. Um, and that leads to openness to demagoguery and people like Donald Trump, mm -hmm. authoritarian figures who say, I'll fix it. Mm -hmm. uh, or we can course correct, as we did in the Great Depression, 
course correct, more power to the worker, more unions, greater pay, spread the wealth around so everybody thrives when more people are making more money. So um, I'm glad we've figured out how we solve the problems of America. And we I'm, did it I'm voting for you, Eleanor. I'm <laughs> voting for you. <laughs> Thank you. And now I just have to run for something. <laughs> Great idea. Fantastic. Well, uh, uh, Virginia Diamond, I so appreciate what you're doing and um, wish you all the best. And I thank you so very much for being with us today and all together now. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. Good luck in the union organizing. Thank you. Hi. Listeners, in case you've missed any of these programs, they're available in the archives. Our theme song is Let's Give Them Something to Talk About, sung by Bonnie Raitt. I'll be back one week from today, next Thursday. Thanks for joining us. This is Eleanor LeCain with All Together Now.